Good day to you. My name is James Langridge, and I am the president of the British American Business Council here in Los Angeles. Once again, I am over the moon to be able to bring you another podcast. And today, without fail, we yet again have some wonderful guests on the line. We have our friend Mike Weeks, uh, returning uh, CEO of Frontline Mind. Hi, Mike. How are you? Uh, I'm very good, James. Thank you for having me back. That's my pleasure. And we also have our friend Jamie Douglas Hamilton, the founder of Active, a phenomenal alkaline water-based company based in London, England. We're going to hear more about that. Good morning, Jamie. How are you? Good morning. Very well, thank you. Thank you for having me on. My, my pleasure. Let's just take a second just to introduce ourselves formally. Mike, would you like to go first? Sure. Um, I am the, as you rightly pointed out, the CEO of a company called Frontline Mind. And as the name gives away, we work most um, of the time with people in frontline agencies. So we have spent a lot over the last five years of time in Camp Pendleton and in Quantico with US Marine Corps. We work with hospitals, especially right now. We work with firefighters, police, the Australian Olympic Taekwondo teams and um, many, many smaller um, agencies all around the world. My background, I was formerly a professional free climber doing uh, rope free ascents long before Instagram or uh, digital video. Uh, Travelled to 54 countries, lived in very high risk environments pretty much all of my life. Um, and I've mapped over in the last 20 years as a trainer and a coach, I've mapped over the ability to essentially um, thrive in high-risk environments. So um, currently I'm speaking to you from Boulder, Colorado. I live here because of the mountains, skiing in the winter, climbing in the summer. Fantastic, and more about that to follow shortly. Jamie, good morning. Would you morning. just give us a little bit of info on yourself, please? Yeah, so before finding active water, um, I was an endurance athlete. Um, I've done two um, world record-breaking expeditions, one rowing from Australia to Africa, the other rowing from South America to Antarctica, where we got seven world records in total, three of them were world first. And uh, this led on to realising kind of how important hydration is to performance, to then finding active water uh, after that, which is now a global brand. Absolutely incredible. Jamie, tell us a little bit more about how you came up with your idea for active so this this came about from rowing from australia to africa uh it's one of the roughest oceans in the world there's a southern indian ocean and we were rowing two hours on two hours off 24 hours a day for two and a half months until we got to the other side and during that time we were burning about ten thousand calories a day you can only eat about six thousand uh, calories a day that's the maximum your body can actually absorb in a day. And we were drinking anything from 10 to 13 litres of water every day. When you drink that much water, you then start to flush the salt out of your system. And so what, we were ha- what was then happening is we were becoming very unbalanced during the night shifts because you never stop. You rode two hours on, two hours off the whole way through. Uh, you'd start falling asleep on the oars. Every now and again, waves would hit you and you would end up actually in the ocean and especially when you're semi-capsizing. And uh, this all changed when one person of the team mixed the seawater with water. And we all thought he was going to die. 
we, we thought that if you mix seawater, it would dehydrate you faster. Um, but because we were drinking through desalinator, that's purified water, and once we actually had seawater, we actually found that it gave us so much more power in the water. I mean, it gave us, normally in a two-hour session, you would start to flag in the last 40 minutes. When you drank seawater, you didn't. You had power the whole way through. And uh, as a result, every second bottle of water was a quarter seawater, the rest normal water. And as a result, we broke the Guinness World Record by two weeks on the Indian Ocean. And even though we rode a much further distance, and that's because what we drank, not because what we ate or how fit we were. And this inspired me to then find hydration is this important uh, to performance. What else can you do with water? And we didn't want to add sugars, electrolytes, or just electrolytes. That's already been done. And it was in Japan when I found ionized alkaline water. And uh, I took that concept to UK. We launched in Harrods and Whole Foods with the number one selling water on that channel. And now we're launching USA, uh, Middle East, all over Europe and further afield in Asia. And it all came from the row. So I wasn't in the industry. I was, had an events industry, uh, events background beforehand. So I had to learn the whole industry from scratch. And it's probably the most competitive um, sector of any beverage you can be in. But water is seen as a commodity. And some of the big players, you buy up shelf space and make it very hard for small players to get into. And so it was a huge challenge. We had to build our plants. We had to learn engineering. You had to play multiple hats from accounting, setting up contracts, to then you know work out how all the science worked. And uh, it would take a long journey, you know, even to raise funding. We now raised two point three million in funding, and about to raise another million. And uh, but it's all been it's all been an adventure. It was never planned. So it was never. If I hadn't done this, I would have gone back to being in events. Well, that is an incredible story. Um, of, I mean, I, I wouldn't, I mean, how did it feel, Jamie, how did you feel when this started to work and you knew you'd broken those records? Did it sink in at the time or was it something that happened afterwards? Well, once it happened after we got, got, uh, got to Africa and we realized we'd done this. Uh, uh, and it was a much tougher road. It was very, we got hit by a hurricane when we were right there. We got hit by three pretty major storms and we had to row through them, you know, so it was pretty hard. You know, one time we actually ended up in a force 10, went upside down. And oh to break the speed record in those conditions um, meant that it was more than just fitness. It was, it was to do with hydration. And hydration is so, it... so important. Sorry, Jamie. I was just going to say hydration is so important to performance. You know, if you lose 2% of your body weight in, 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 uh, in, in, uh, to dehydration, that can affect your performance by 30%. So it's not just the quantity of what you drink, it's actually what you actually, what the salt content, what the mineral content is, what the uh, pH is of the water that makes a huge difference. As it turns out, seawater is actually surprisingly very similar to your blood. Um, Seawater is actually about three and a half percent salt content. Your your kidneys can break down two percent salt content. So once you dilute it down, it's actually it works. It works really well. Jamie, there's a I, I'm absolutely compelled by that story. I, I didn't realise that was the the inciting incident for creating the business. But um, I was smiling when you were talking about it because uh, I think one of the biggest problems that 
um, when it comes to hydration is we have this mythical eight glasses of water idea out there, which of course there is zero research anywhere in the world that says eight glasses is this optimum amount. It should actually be that we're drinking when we're thirsty. But yeah. um, there's an enormous issue with people not getting enough salt. And actually, if you look at the data that's been around for decades, we know that um, when you have an ample salt content in your diet and in, the, and in this case in water, um, it lowers adren adrenaline and cortisol and the stress hormones. So actually having too low a salt content actually has a negative effect on the adrenals. Um, and over, over time, you know, it can be a supportive mechanism in burnout and the likes. I, I uh, ran the Marathon de Saab for a TV series back in 2004, which is uh, 151 miles across the Sahara. Yeah. And at the time, I was on a um, standardized low-salt diet because I thought that was healthy. I was also um, mostly, I was a vegetarian and mostly vegan. And on the second day of the competition, and I'd been trying, you know, I trained my ass off for it, but on the second day of the competition, um, I started hallucinating about 10 miles from the finish line. And, I, and um, only due to the um, attention of a French competitor who came running after me, did I not end up disappearing off into the desert off, off of the main line of the course. And he brought me back and luckily he found me before the medical team found me because if the medical team find you, you're out of the race. And so we, uh, we marched to the finish line, I didn't run. Then I got my, you're allowed in the Marathon de Sub to have five IVs over the course of the seven days. You have six, you're out. So I took three of those IVs, um, stopped hallucinating, immediately felt better. And then the next day went against my um, better judgment that I'd read in all my, um, you know, slightly non-scientific um, books about don't eat salt, it's bad for you. The next day I ramped up on the free salt tablets and I started running my best personal best in the marathons that week. And I even did double marathon um, in one day in under 10 hours across wow. the Sahara, King Sand Dunes. And I put that all down to um, uh, on the spot, increasing my salt content. So I was hearing that it was analogous to my own experience. That's, that's absolutely fascinating. Um, what you're saying about hallucinating, because we had that same issue and we were hallucinating uh, a lot and first the first sign of hallucinating is you hear voices so you mm. hear your name being called out repeatedly yeah, then you'd yeah. hear dogs barking or mobile phones go that nokia um <clears throat> old mobile phone tune going off and but it became so real you thought someone was playing a joke on you and then when it gets really bad you get visual hallucinations where i was actually looking at the row in front of me and we were in a storm at the time and all I could see was, uh, was this person changing a light bulb in a laboratory. <laughs> and I kept on calling his name and <laughs> saying, Fian, why aren't you rowing? Fian, why aren't you rowing? And he turned around and said, what are you, what are you talking about? And I realized, you know, I'd completely zoned out. And once we had uh, seawater, we never hallucinated again. Never. And that whole yeah, row. That's, that's exactly. incredible. In those moments of where, you, where you have to absolutely dig deep, and find something just to push through. And this is a question for both of you. Jamie, what, what was, where did you find that, what you needed just to get through those moments? What did you call on to get through? It was, it was probably day 11 of the Indian Ocean Row, which was the hardest. 
We've been battling the storm for three days. Uh, we were just getting out of it. And just as we were getting out, low pressure system came over and we were then hit by a force 10 at night. And it was that feeling like we got over the worst of it and then we were in an even worse storm. And at that stage, because you're rowing 12 hours a day, the skin had come off my bum to such a level, it was rowing on a graze that was just so sore. When the seawater got in, it was, it was absolutely agony. So you're counting down the minutes to get, off, to get off your shift. Once you get in, you take your shark skin down, you put your pseudocream on, it's absolutely agony. Just as you're about to get to sleep, you get that pat on the hatch saying, Jamie, 10 minutes. And it's just that whistling noise of the wind outside and just knowing you have to get, get out there. Uh, when you get into a situation like that, all you've got to think about is how to get through the next two hours. Don't get, think about how to get through the next 60 days. Just get through the next two hours and then break it down, get through the next two hours and the rest and then get through the next two hours. Nothing else goes through your mind apart from those two hours, getting through the next two hour session. That's incredible. Yeah, right. this, is a, this is a what Jamie's talking about here is a natural chunking process. And um, we have the ability as humans to think in big picture, of course, and we also have the ability to go all the way down to the micro and into the uh, fragmented. Um, uh, I have exactly the same experience. When I climb El Capitan, which is three and a half thousand feet of rock in Yosemite. Oh, wow. When, when, I, when I work on you know, a big project, when I work on, I have the vision that I want to get to the top in the same way that you have the vision that you want to get to the other side of, of the ocean. Um, but if you focus on the big picture, most of the time it's too overwhelming. And so you have to be able to chunk it down into the component parts. What do I need to do to get through the next five minutes or the next 200 meters or the next 300 meters or the next 400 meters? And we know that this is effective because, I mean, if you just look at um, systems like Alcoholics Anonymous, for instance, it's not telling you to become a, uh, you know, uh, to stop drinking for the next year. It's day by day. And so this chunking ability is absolutely essential if you've got a huge monumental task ahead of you. Right now with coronavirus and all of the challenges that people have got in front of them, if they're trying to predict what's going to happen six months or a year from now, it's not only going to be overwhelming, it's also going to be deeply inaccurate because we don't have enough information. You know, we're in a complex zone in the complex adaptive system uh, framework. So we have to make small experiments and um, be happy to focus on um, fractals rather than big picture. And so, uh, yeah, definitely for me, when I'm rock climbing, I'm barely thinking about two or three moves ahead. I'm thinking about one move ahead. And that's certainly the case doing endurance events, you know, where it's just like uh, at, what, a mile 20 when you're exhausted and you start thinking about mile 150, it's not going to help. It's going to have the opposite effect. There's a term in business and in life, I think, um, how do you eat an elephant? And it's one bite at a time. And I think we adopt that in life and in business, especially right now. Um, it is completely overwhelming at the moment for a lot of people. Mike, you work with a lot of very high profile businesses and dignitaries. And they're, they're, I've got to believe they're coming to you and it's probably the same discussion over and over again. How are you settling them down? How are you keeping them focused right now? Yeah, good question. So you're absolutely right. We've got uh, our businesses, um, without this seeming to be um, sort of crude in its analogy, our business has almost followed the line of coronavirus in its you know, uplift and just uh, I can't deal with the amount of people who are looking for solutions right now. Um, 
we are putting a lot of attention into something called the Kinevan framework, which is developed by Professor Dave Snowden. And it's a way of making sense of situations and making sense of phases that we're in. And um, I won't go deeply into it now because, uh, you know, I actually trained it to 20 fintech companies this morning, which took an hour and a half. But ultimately, it, it, it puts some um, life situations and concepts into uh, five domains. One is obvious, another is complicated, the other is complex and the other is chaotic. And then the fifth one is confusion. And um, right now, mostly what's happening is that we're not in the obvious, which is best practice, which is where it's the equivalent of, you know, in England, you drive on the left hand side of the road and then the US you drive on the right. And so there's a best practice there in the complicated you have good practice and you can have you can ask for expert advice and you pretty much know what the outcome will be in complex you don't really know what the outcome will be unless you test and you iterate fast and in chaotic um, you have to make decisions really fast so that you can sense and um, respond and get out of chaotic as soon as you can and i think for a lot of and then the confusion piece is obvious it's that we don't have enough information to make good decisions and right now we're bringing people's attention to the fact that if you, so um, to use Jamie's um, uh, stories about, you know, getting caught in storms when you're exhausted and you come out the other side and then you get hit by a, a you know, force 10. Uh, if you try in those situations to do what you were doing when the water was calm, uh, you're going to get in trouble. You need to be quick, reactive, iterative. You may need to make quick decisions and see if it works. And if it doesn't, kill that decision and move rapidly to the next. Now, you don't want to be doing that continuously because you'll burn out and it's impossible to sustain that for a long period of time. You want to actually get back into a, a way that you can um, operate from some degree of certainty and know that, okay, uh, the water's calmed down again, and we've probably got at least 24 hours of steady rowing in the sunshine. So right now, um, people need to be alert to their patterns of, am I doing this? Am I attempting to navigate through Corona in the way that I navigate my normal Monday to Friday? Because it's probably not going to work. Um, and so what can I do that is fast, flexible and responsive to get feedback from the world and from my business, from the systems, so that I can understand how to best move forward? Jamie, thanks, Mike. Uh, Jamie, how are you? I mean, you're in a, the water supply business. Um, how's that affecting you right now? What are you doing to adapt to the rapidly changing marketplace? Well, a lot of businesses, and especially hospitality or travel or service businesses, have struggled. But health businesses and products have, are going for a super boom. Water as a category is actually up 50%, and Tesco and Sainsbury's, the two biggest retailers in the UK. Uh, from manufacturing, it's actually up 10% overall. Uh, we've almost doubled our sales since coronavirus has started. Um, there's just so much demand for alkaline water. Uh, in, in, the, in the UK and water in general and there's a huge amount of bulk buying going on so we've had to it's caused issues with our supply we've actually had to get more produce more than we normally do and but it's a very very exciting time it's not all doom and gloom it seems like that if you're watching Sky News or, or BBC News uh, all day but um, there's a lot of businesses absolutely thriving in this environment yeah absolutely I, I, when there's an I, I opportunity I completely agree with that. We, yeah, you were about to say it right there, James. 
we need to be asking ourselves now, uh, what are the opportunities? Because they are, right. they are seemingly endless. Even if you are somebody who maybe you're on standout, and I'm, I, won't, I won't say which company, but I'm coaching a number of people from a, one, one organization. They've been told it's unlikely they'll be back in business for the next four weeks. Um, all of those people a week ago were expecting to be going back to, week, to work within two weeks. And so they were just having a nice little holiday, you know, because they're on full pay. Um, as of, I think it was Wednesday when I took three coaching calls, uh, all of them were starting to get concerned and twitchy. And also knowing that there are conversations going on about layoffs if, if in the next two, three, four weeks. Um, these people are to some degree shutting down their scanning of the environment for opportunity because they already have a fixed job. My, my proposal to them was right now, assume that the job is going to go. And you know, you're not about to throw the baby out with the bathwater and, and, or anything, but assume the job is going to go, do you have the plan B? And do you have a plan B that's compelling and a plan C that's compelling and a plan D that's compelling? And um, it might not be that you have a plan B that pays you as much as your current job or that position, but there are, for everyone that I can think of, uh, there are opportunities to be able to expand and to also make some kind of uh, beneficial forward movement in this current crisis. The, the point that limits us is our creative processing and we're not looking for opportunity. We're reading bad news every day. We're getting addicted to how many people are dying or catching or infecting. And, um, and that's where our attention's going and that's where our energy's going. And um, you know, right now we should be putting our attention on opportunity. Yeah. Um, yes. please jamie i, I was just going to say that um, it's opened up a whole lot of new uh, revenue streams that we didn't push before uh, for example amazon and online platforms are now going through the roof we used to deliver you know three to six pallets at a time to amazon we're now delivering by the lorry um 26 pallets at a time straight into amazon so it's Incredible. it's um uh, online online uh, sales have gone through the roof at the moment are you working directly with the nhs jamie uh we're not we're planning on actually donating uh, we've been in touch uh with them because they've they've um created this new hospital in the excel arena which is one of the biggest yep. uh, arenas in the world and they've got four th they've got four thousand beds for the nhs we've been in touch asking if they need water and we're planning to supply them with, with, yeah, with so much water as they need. That's incredible. And, and, and thank you very much for that. That, that. That's greatly appreciated. I'm sure. Um, Jamie, now I know that rowing from Australia to Africa is no mean feat, but tell us more about when you came up with the idea, you had to go one step further. You just couldn't stop. So you decided to, row from south america to antarctica how did you come up with that idea and well, tell us a little well, bit more of what it was like it was uh, uh the idea for it came up with uh, someone i rode with from uh, australia to africa his name is fian pole um from iceland he's actually now broken the world records on the atlantic pacific indian ocean arctic and he's just completed the ocean row grand slam by doing the first row in the southern ocean and um, and uh, he came up with the concept, realizing that no one had ever done it, but it was, it was tough. We knew this one was going to be tough from the outset. Southern Ocean is like no other ocean. You get a fetch that goes around Antarctica, and a current that goes around Antarctica, and there's nothing to stop it. There's no landmass to stop it. 
So these waves build and build and build into 60 feet. You know, some of them have even reached 80 feet in storms. And we were then going from north to south uh, as the current was trying to take us from west to east in probably one of the most hostile environments out there. Not only is it hostile, it's very cold. And the wind chill was, was pretty unbearable. Uh, I actually got frost snip in my hands and my, my fingers and my feet and my toes. Uh, only recovered about a month ago, um, but they were, completely, they were completely white. No blood at all got into it. And uh, that's one stage away from frostbite. If it had gone on a few days more, it would have been developing frostbite, I think. It was, it was pretty, pretty cold. Question, how long did the trip take you? It took us 12 days. Uh, 12 days doesn't sound like a long time, um, but 12 days out there certainly felt like a month, if not longer, um, because the rowing was much harder. We went from two-hour shifts to 90-minute shifts. You put more into your shifts. We had to then row faster, so we're doing about 24 to 26 strokes per minute, and keeping that up for, even to do that for 90 minutes, the rowing machine is tough, but doing it out there when you're in a boat weighs over a tonne, and you've got currents that are taking you the other way. And it's such an unpredictable ocean. Sometimes we're battling, we're actually rowing into headwinds. Uh, so you're rowing into the waves, and we just had to keep on going. And during that time, I lost a lot more weight. I lost two stone. So what's that, about 15 or 16 kilograms in those 12 days. Um, so I mean, a huge weight loss. So I think we're burning at least 10,000, if not 12,000 calories a day. Unbelievable. How do you, Jamie, you mentioned the waves and how do you even prepare for something like that? Can you even prepare for a, a wave of that magnitude? What do you do? Do you try and go through it, around it, hope for the yeah. best? Well, it's, 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 it's very scary uh, when you first, first um, get hit by one and uh, when you first go into a storm. Once you've gone for a storm, Surprisingly, it's actually the best, best, best fun of it because um, you're living completely in the moment. Nothing else is going through your head during that time. Uh, we put an extra long dagger board on. So you've got a rudder, then midway up the boat, you've got a dagger board. We made this steel so to try and make it unbreakable. And luckily, we didn't capsize. We got to 90 degrees capsizing, but we never actually fully, fully capsized. Uh, but it's, it's scary at the time. Um, one thing I learned, I don't know how, if someone told me or, or if I learned it out there, I can't remember someone telling me, but it was how to trick the, your conscious mind to trick your subconscious mind. And so I was saying, when things got really bad, this is nothing, I can go forever. This is nothing, I can go forever. And you play that over and over in your head and you trick your subconscious into actually thinking you're wet, you're cold, you know, but you get hit by these big waves, but it's not that bad. And each time you say that you know, in your head, you can row that a little bit faster, that little bit harder, and not be worried about it. Incredible. Are you, um, and did you use your active water on that trip, or were you using the same method as before with the desalination and adding seawater? We did. We took reserve water of active, um, but we didn't have enough. We can't, you can only take so much water on board, so we had to use the desalinator. The problem with the desalinator is once you get into cold conditions, once the water goes into one to zero degrees it stops working working and so you're getting very very high salt content in the water almost to a point it's virtually seawater so as we got closer to antarctica we could have only carried that on for another two days max without it but before we'd we'd been a really really bad way 
Unbelievable. Jamie, these adventures, um, as I know myself and from all of my friends, colleagues, people I work with, they train your nervous system to have a certain degree of excitement every day. You know, the, the dopamine and also the misery and the suffering that you get all the incredible satisfaction from overcoming. Um, running a business day to day requires a lot of very methodical thinking, dealing with paperwork, dealing with all the mundane day to day stuff. How do you, um, how do you align your need for those kind of adventures with running a business? Is it exciting enough for you? Um, are you still, are you still training a lot and planning more adventures? Do you have the time for it? Uh, absolutely. Well, uh, potentially they, they could be one in, in two years time, but, if, if, but I always say this would be the last, but, uh, but th this one definitely will be the last. It's in the Southern ocean, a very dangerous route. And, uh, so we'll see. I'm not, uh, 100% sure if I'll do it, uh, but, but having your own business and doing venture is very similar. You have an idea, you've got no idea how to, how to go about it. You start to make a plan, you start to build a team. You then need to sell that vision to get everyone bought in. You need to raise funding for it. You know, it's all the same things that you're doing in a business. The day-to-day -day mundane paperwork, I tend not, to, tend not to do. So once, what I'm trying to do at the moment is get a as much distribution. So I work on, most of my time is working in new business and marketing. And so distribution agreements in other countries. Once we've got accounts, I then hand them over to our account managers uh, who, then, who then manage it on a day-to-day -day basis. So it's, uh, my life is very much filled with fear and excitement at the same time. Yeah. Um, so very similar in some ways to an adventure. Yeah, being, being an entrepreneur and being an adventurer are pretty much the same thing, just a little less physical. Yeah, 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 I think so, definitely. Hey, Mike, um, I know that you're familiar with uh, obviously rock climbing, and you've worked with quite a well-known celebrity. Um, and I and I know. Tell us a little bit more about that, because obviously you are very experienced, and they were completely inexperienced. How did you motivate that person to be able to do something which was very daunting and difficult at the time? Yeah, so I have to be careful not to have retrospective coherence, which is where you look back on what happened and think that you knew what you were doing. Um, this is the case in uh, most people who are successful. They, they consider that they always had the, the plan, they were going to stick to it, and that's, um, that's how they managed to pull it off, when in reality, there's a large dose of luck, there's a lot of iteration and making mistakes that you have to change course on. Um, you're referring to the sh oh my god it's a long time ago now James 2004 and 2005 and 6 Jack Osborne adrenaline junkie we got Jack from overweight celebrity who'd never done any exercise to climbing over a six-month period um, El Capitan which uh, the, the route's called Salate which is actually most of the route that you see in Alex Honnold's free solo you know the Oscar-winning movie that came out last year um, we didn't pre-solo it, as you might imagine. We actually sieged it and it took us seven days on the wall because we were setting up for camera crews and we were, we were essentially guiding a complete novice. To answer your question, um, you know, we did immersion, uh, deep immersion. We took somebody and we were privileged enough to be paid by ITV and we had uh, six months of time to do it, but we took somebody who had never rock climbed or never really done any exercise and we turned his life upside down. He basically came and lived with me and my then girlfriend, my now wife, 
um, day in, day out. He ate like us. He, he trained like us. He, so not to the same intensity, but, but everything was um, about rock climbing and fitness and health. And uh, by the end of it, Jack had lost 90 pounds in weight, um, was able to lead climb, uh, you know, pulled his weight enormously on El Cap because you have to pull up about, we had a 350 pounds of water and food that you also have to drag up the wall. You obviously have to take all your own waste out. You pee in bottles, you poop in cat litter bags and you put that into a tube and that goes up with you. Uh, there were seven of us on the wall because we had a cameraman and two safety people um, who were not overly competent. So I ended up doing most of the uh, rigging for the cameraman. Um, but imagine you've got seven people all eating and pooping on a wall. Sorry. Yeah. Seven people for seven days um, and having to drink and live in hammocks. So uh, it's, you know, it's a bit of a, a mini logistical nightmare. Um, but yeah, with Jack and, you know, he'll attest to this. Jack and I are very, I say best friends, you know, we speak most days that we go on climbing trips still together. Um, for him, it was literally there was no way he was going to pull that off living in LA with a privileged life so we went on the road we went to Thailand kickboxing we went into the Alps into the mountains and we did deep immersion um, but to go back to my original point is that uh, I'd like to say that I planned the whole thing and that I knew it was going to be a success I didn't um, it was a lot of uncertainty it was a complex uh, situation and we just made very fast iterations we learned on the spot what was working and what wasn't working, and um, we stayed flexible. And that ultimately is what got us up here, even though we had a sh absolute ton of minor disasters that could have ended the whole thing almost on a daily basis. Thanks, Mike. Mike, if our listeners want to find that documentary, is it available at the moment? Do you have a, a way for them? You know, uh, once in a while, I still get people say to me, are you that bloke who... Uh, <laughs> yeah i am actually. Um, it's not very often i have to say um it's usually waiting for bags at carousels in airports actually there's about 80 percent of that uh, yeah it's called adrenaline junkie series one two as the ones that we did and then jack went on to do three and four and five um uh, i think you can get it on dvd i haven't seen it in over uh well, i haven't seen it in 14 or 15 years and i've got two kids that don't even know about it so uh, i should probably sit down with all this uh, lockdown and and um, yeah. have them watch the series. I'd probably Wonderful. be horrified, to be honest. <laughs> Wonderful. Okay. Um, Jamie, um, I understand that we, we may be hearing about um, your most recent adventure fairly soon. Can you tell the listeners a little bit more about that? I'm sure they'd love to uh, tune into that. Yeah, so uh, Discovery followed our expedition, and uh, they're going to be releasing a documentary going out across the whole network in 210 countries, and we're going to find the exact date very soon, but it'll be within the next eight weeks. Wonderful. Thank you. Okay, guys, we're, we're coming towards the end of this. I can't thank you enough for your contributions today. What, what a very, very interesting subject. Resilience. We need it more than ever right now. If, if you were to leave us with one thing, uh, 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 maybe you can share just some positivity with our listeners jamie what would you tell them the number one thing is to stay positive it's all, all mental game it's what we did wasn't a physical game at all uh, it's all a mental game and it's just the people that get through it the best the people that come out no matter how bad it is with a smile on their face and just 
were able to laugh it off and have a good sense of humor because of all these things they pass they will pass in time you know it, it seems like when you're going through the worst of it they'll never pass but eventually they will and just stay positive and reassure yourself that yeah everything will get better wonderful mike well yeah i could go on for hours um but I'll leave you this scene as we've been talking about adventures and climbing and the likes. On a climbing expedition, uh, competent climbers can pretty much deal with anything that comes their way. Uh, you know, technically, they're happy to put themselves at risk. They're happy to uh, go into deep exhaustion, to go for days with very little sleep, with very little food. The one thing that drives us absolutely insane is when the weather craps out and we're all stuck either in snow caves or tents or hanging out in cafes with, with um, the inability to climb. I think that's pretty analogous to what's going on for a lot of people right now with being stuck at home. There's a sense of having lost any control or agency. And of course, that's the case if you carry on viewing the world as you did a few weeks ago, and that your patterns and the, your ability to make any kind of difference um, is based on you being able to go out in the world and, and interact with people and turn up at the office. Uh, but that's changed. So what we need to be looking for now is what can we do to get back agency, to get back control, to get back some choices in our lives. They might not be as maximal or impactful as we can when we can maneuver in the world. Um, but I just want people to um, consider that we do have opportunity. We do have choice and sitting at home, on our backsides waiting for the weather to clear is probably the most frustrating and undermining um, uh, you know, kind of experience that we could have. So look for opportunity and get on with something. Thanks, Mike. And, and from my business point of view, um, I know this moment will pass and when we're in, the, we're in the power zone and we've got to get through it and we absolutely have to get a result, there's nothing more frustrating when we're stuck inside and we can't operate. And I, I totally get it. But I do know that I've survived 100% of my worst days so far. And this is just a moment where we will get through it. There's some light at the end of the tunnel. And when we come out, I love that, Jamie. We'll have a smile on our face. And Mike, again, I love that as well. We will get through this. The power of positivity will carry us through. Gentlemen, I want to thank you so much for today. Jamie, appreciate you calling in from the UK. Mike, thank you for calling in from Boulder. My name is James Langridge. I am the president of the British American Business Council, Los Angeles, and this has been another fabulous podcast. Tune in soon for another one. Thank you. Thanks, James. Thanks, thank James. you, James.